Hey there, it's Ben. We have an episode about bringing your players back to the plot and getting the players interested in the actual plot, while also giving advice on how to adjust the plot to suit your players instead of making your players suit the plot. Also do want to give a quick shout out to Weaselpunk on account of amazing name, and also they're our latest backer on our Patreon. So thank you a huge amount to them. You can be like them at patreon.com slash the Heidi and Wayne. Thank you, and now on to the show. I got the weirdest holocom message just now, Ben. Someone wants us to come chaperone them on a vacation? I understood correctly, but they did offer us a bunch of money for it. If they're offering us money, we might as well. Uh, did did it sound bad? Intense? Like there were a lot of children? Oh no, there's a lot of... How many children? At least it's not Lothcats. Welcome to a pouncing episode of Tales from the Hydean Way, where your host Bing Yendel and Risa D. I'm just plotting out Act 2 of Mask of the Pirate Queen. By the time you listen to this, you won't have listened to any of Act 2 because We've got like six episodes in between Act 1 and Act 2. There's no way. <laughs> There's some good episodes in there, but yeah, it's not Act 2. The pacing of the Edge FFG modules is a very curious thing. The first act is small. Very small. In some ways, Beyond the Rims is so tiny. When I ran it, I got it done in a session. It was smaller than it should have been in a lot of ways. I mean, least to me. It's generally the prep, let's get ready, or Mask of the Pirate Queen Act 1 is, like, spoilers, but it's a distraction. <laughs> the whole thing is, is sort of to make sure that the players are good at what they do and are able to plan ahead. It's sort of setting the hook. And also, the bait and switch at the end is supposed to be enough of a hook to drag the players on to go after the queen when the threat from the queen actually becomes big. And then they're sandwiched in between. What does a consortium think? What does a pirate queen think? Oh, no. The idea being, the players now are invested. And my question to Yuri and to our listeners is, how do you grow an adventure enough so that the players are invested enough to take a foolhardy leap? Because the players have gone through their first sort of thing. In Beyond the Rim, as an example, it's they are tracked by a competing archaeological crew going to Cholgana. They're defending their ship or their ship has been sabotaged or something like that. They now need to deal with this or in one way or the other, like stopping the sabotage from happening, tracing it back to who did it. Well, how do you hook people on going from that into, okay, well, now I'm invested. I have a personal stake in getting this, whatever it is. Is it a MacGuffin? Is it a competition now? That's my question to you. I think it has a lot to do with your players. First, I don't think you can completely plan it from the very get-go, which is a frustrating thing. You can't have it completely prepped to begin with because your players, no matter how well you know them, they're not always going to be brought in by the same things that you think they will be. So my biggest bit of advice is read their character sheets and come up with a couple of hooks to do with them specifically 
especially if they seem like they're wandering. But whatever seems to spark their interest is what you need to start developing. So if the aspect of Beyond the Rim that seems to be making them the most excited is, well, now I have to get there before they do. Now it's, you know, okay, this is a competition now. This is what I need. This is the angle I need to be playing. If they go, wow, this sounds really interesting. You So who is it that I'm looking for? What What is she like? What What is it going? Now, you know, okay. So they're actually just interested in the actual like MacGuffin self. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to play up the mystique, the mystery of the actual object or the person that they're, you're, they're going after. And I think it has a lot to do with that is to play off of their actual, what seems to be piquing their interest. Because a lot of the time I feel like the modules specifically are written in ways that you can always modify them just enough to get them to be interesting to your players in different ways. Take trouble brewing, (laughs) right? All right. Trouble brewing. You have people who are super altruistic or something. They're going to want to help, right? Yep. That's their thing. They want to help this Rodian woman. That's their thing. They are going to help her because they are morally obligated to do so. So that's what you want to play up that angle. You have players who are more like, well, we're looking to make some money. Then the angle you really want to be playing up is the bounty. Yeah. That's the angle you want to start playing up and all of that. Try to get them into that space, right? Yeah. Because that's what they're going to be more interested in. And that's what's going to get them more invested in in everything. Because if you have a bunch of people who want cash and then you throw the, you know, Rodian woman at them, they're not going to be like super interested unless she starts saying, I'll pay you handsomely. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. But if you have a bunch of people who are like super altruistic, morally upstanding, and you throw the bounty at them, they're not going to be super interested either, right? That's not going to be their whole cup of tea. They don't want to just go out and claim bounties. They want to have a reason to do so. At best, it's going to be, well, that's a job. Exactly. They're the ones where you want the want the droid, because that's <laughs> you want to pull on their heartstrings, yeah. right? As opposed to people who don't want, who are just completely immune to the droid. I'm not, I'm not bringing that back up, but um, <laughs> moving on. But that's the kind of thing you have to do, is that you just have to display the fact at the very beginning everything that you've been given and even if it's not like written specifically in there because if i remember correctly when i did beyond the rim my players got super hooked on to the idea of the actual woman at Anchalgana. okay yeah they got super obsessed with her like i ended up having to invent a whole bunch of stuff and went completely off book for the second and third acts because they did not go in the direction that the module was supposed to go. <laughs> like fair. I can kind of see that. It was fun, but it was how I kept them like engaged in the session. And, you know, I was fine with that. But it did mean that I could see that that's where their attention was going. And so I was like, okay, then I'll, I'll go along. That was my first time ever GMing anything. And <laughs> I was like, 
this is like our second session in. We're doing act two. I'm trying to read everything. Arboreal octopi are there. Uh, <laughs> and and then they're like trying to do something completely different than what's in, in the book. And I end up just just put closing it. <laughs> to be fair, almost any of these adventures that's going to happen okay beyond the rim i can see that with the thing is is like because the back end of beyond the rim is just so wide or it can be so wide because it's just sort of like an arrow shot and it could be true and go to the bullseye or it could go into the car tire that's next and slowly deflates (laughs) i sort of think that jewel of yavin is a more clear through line as well as Mask of the Pirate Queen. Because Mask of the Pirate Queen, there's that mask. The heroes or the players are going for it. Heroes are not. And <laughs> in the Jewel of Yavin, you're going after the Jewel of Yavin and the money. Like, yeah. there's a thing. It's not, oh, there's a question about it. Nope. This is what's happening. Like, even friends like these, yeah, you're there to stop the Imperial invasion. Whether that works out or not. <laughs> that's that's the thing that you're there to find out. Or you've got, hey, look, let's evacuate from the onslaught at Arda 1 for both of the Force and Destiny at, cam- at campaigns. It's just how dark are you wanting to go? Because both of them are just, I don't know, the villains or the antagonists in, that, in both of them are very sort of dark mirror-esque in how they've got a lot of emotional hurt and are trying to deal as best as they can. The modules, when you sink into them, can get really engrossing. Yeah. One might have a wrestling match in it, but I mean, really. (laughs) I feel like the modules themselves rely a bit on the players going along with the fact that it's a module. Yes. And just kind of for the sake of this is a pre-planned story. And I think that kind of puts the... Story at a disadvantage sometimes in the way that it flows, especially if your players are kind of like, "Why am I doing this?" I think if you're just like at a at a regular table, one, if you don't like the way something in the module is written, just change it. Oh, absolutely. That's just like the biggest thing for me is the modules are guidelines. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. Also, if you're if you want to make it clear to your players that this is a modular story. Like, if they seem to be having trouble sticking with the story, and they just kind of, like, are are going off book, as it were, maybe it's because they don't understand that it's a, it's a pre-written one. I feel like that sometimes can happen, because it's like, there's a difference in how a player should play in a modular than how they should play in just a completely home-done campaign, right? Yeah. Where one has a pre-planned story, and the other one is usually going to be a lot more sandboxy. So as a player, you should, in a modular, try to at least go along with the module. Mm. And I feel like some players maybe don't think about that when they should. Because it's like for the fun of other people at the table, you should try. <laughs> like I'm definitely agreeing with you there. Your example from Beyond the Rim is a pretty good one on account of you get so far into an adventure and then you find out that the adventure you've told is not the same adventure that someone else has. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, it's on the page, but 
sometimes you're not presenting the logic leaps in the same fashion. So Realm turns into this horrible person who's getting you to go in and completely destroy a survival nest. As opposed to in other ones where it's, oh, yes, these are survivors from the crash. Let's save them and bring them back to the galaxy so that they can continue on with their lives. Yeah. There's so many different approaches. Just guess. You've got sort of big, splashy things that can go on. But, yeah, your players don't necessarily have to do any of that stuff. You can get to the point where you can tell that your players are going off on whatever adventure they're on it doesn't necessarily have to be the one that you started off on yeah and i mean that's true but i also mean if you guys are all agreeing to play a modular adventure that if someone is being offered a plot hook you should make an effort to take that plot hook (laughs) that was my more of my point of it and sometimes where in a normal adventure, we might want more reasons to do things. I know <laughs> that in when I'm playing a modular adventure as a player, I'm more likely to just do things that people are asking me to do. In the modular adventure, you've probably got the pseudo info dump section at the very beginning of, well, this is the actual adventure. This like the tutorial section of the adventure. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. Yeah. And then, hey, look, yeah, you've got the ability to start off and go off on this whole thing. And yeah, you've got this ancient statue or this holocron without kyber crystals or something. You're continuing on to try and figure out what you're wanting to do. Like, I so want to discuss a lot of the FFG ones, but I also <laughs> don't want to spoil them because yeah. so many of the hooks in there are really good. Well, Okay, using friends like these, because heroes completely done, that sort of thing. Friends like these has the different planets that you're going on. It's easy enough to take any one of those planets and just turn that into its own adventure. Like, okay, you've got to go and deal with the Mandalorians. You've got to somehow get them on side for something. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything in particular or like you're copying Rebels. And you have to get the Mandalorians on side to get some reinforcements. Well, okay, let's go that way. And then we pull that section from the adventure and get some ideas that way. Like, okay, yeah, you could have an Imperial Mandalorian show up to be all puffy and pompous and then have to smack him down. Players would love that. But you can use the different sections as ideas. And yes, If, as a GM, I'm coming to my players saying, Hi, yes, I'm wanting to run Jewel of Yavin. There's going to be cloud car racing. There's going to be fine dining. There's going to be an auction. There's going to be a theft. There's going to be a break-in to steal things. Then you all have to get away. It sounds like a James Bond movie. (laughs) Those two did a great job with Jewel of Yavin. It's an adventure that has so many possibilities to it. And too too little time to do everything, it's great. (laughs) the way that you're going to do it and the way that I'm going to do it, two different things completely. And also, if the players get a better idea on how to do something, then let that run. Yeah. So your players have absolutely no space capabilities whatsoever. That the only being in the player group is the GMPC who is in with the group, and they're the only ones who can fly or shoot in space. 
because <laughs> this was a ground adventure. Why would we take it flying or shooting in space? Who needs gunnery? Who needs pilot space? I mean, really? Yeah. Then, hey, look, there's a section of this modular adventure that is just flying around and shooting things. Then the players come up with an idea on how to do something unique. In my case, it was, hey, look, let's go assault a Star Destroyer because that sounds like amazing. <laughs> but it's not the thing that's in the adventure. It's adapting to what the players are good at. It's playing to their strength, just like you said, Risa. Mm -hmm. It's bending the adventure without breaking the adventure. Yeah. Because you can then get a few of the sort of more hardline things of, okay, well, what can four people running around on a Star Destroyer actually do? Especially mm -hmm. when you've got an invasion force of stormtroopers. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, sure, they can slow it down, but can they blow it up? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Do they roll really well? Do they not? Do they find out the imperial decor of durasteel plants? <laughs> Imperials have no taste. One Imperial did, and then they just started stamp printing it. <laughs> so we've taken this and we sort of taken a look at modules. Yeah. So very few people run modules. I mean, heck, that's there are people out there who run modules. I mean, I've had people come up on Twitter and on Facebook and say, I love what you do with heroes, but we're wanting to run Mask of the Pirate Queen. So we're not going to listen to it until <laughs> we're done. Like, great, we're going to be at the end of Act 3 by the time you start listening. That way they can binge. It's perfect. Okay, yeah, sure. There's people who do run the modules. I mean, we hope, especially with heroes, I hope you, we inspire you. But so many people run their own thing. Like, I'm wanting to run the sequel trilogy era. I don't got a module. Well, I've got a beginner game, but I don't have a module. Yeah. I'm wanting to run prequels. I don't got a module. I got two books, but I don't have a module. <laughs> Many people are running their own home adventures. And the cool thing is, is that you take the adventurers who are, I don't know, running a small job smuggling salt for Jabba from Tatooine to Dak or Moncala. Yeah, Moncala. And I don't know why they're wanting to smuggle Tatooine salt for the baths of the corn elite. Or I don't know. It's an idea. <laughs> Something that's rather banal, but like, yeah, we're smuggling salt. Why would we be smuggling salt? Well, it's with this weird Tatooine stuff. Okay, well, fine. But it's also like a nothing job. How do you hook from like something like that into the big high adventure where you're going to end up trying to climb up the dangling power cable from your freighter as you're taking off from this exploding sail barge? How do you get from like point A to point B there? How do you hook them into the wider adventure that then makes them feel like they've got no choice but to go forward? I think you give them a bunch of interest points and see which one they follow. And that's the one that you like flesh out. What I've run into in the past is trying to flesh something out, thinking that this is going to be the cool way to make something. This is the way I'm going to make everyone want to go find all of those missing mythic people in this town, right? I'm going to make them all feel awesome. They're going to try and figure this out because of this. I fleshed all of this out. Great. I'm going to get them going this way. Did not work out because I assumed, <laughs> right? I assumed that what I was going to flesh out is what was going to catch their eye. Game plan change, right? Right. What I do now is I semi-flesh out a couple of things and offer them up in sprinkles and whichever one people like start asking about 
that's the one that is now what I'm going to flesh out and make interesting and make the one that draws them in. But I have several, like, probably four or five ways to draw them into the big picture. Okay. So big picture is currently, well, I haven't had, it's really hard to get people together when one person's in Europe, another person has like a kid and a job and another time zone and, you know, another person has twins. Very hard to get that group together, as you might imagine. Slightly. (laughs) Last time we were together, it's someone has gone missing, someone from that we previously knew, they previously knew, I'm the GM, someone they previously knew has gone missing. I sprinkled in a bunch of different ways they could find her. They were able to track down through her social media a couple of things (laughs) because that was what tickled their fancy. And then they were able to find clues to a, I ended up giving them like a website, a physical address, and a phone number that they could go on. Those were like my three things that they could try and pursue, that they could like flush out. This is what they were going to do. And they ended up sending one person to the phone number and another person to like the physical address. And so now that was just what they were going to do. And that's how I had to flush it out. And now someone's getting like the person who went with the phone number, he left a message and then it's like a metagorgon at a Starbucks, you know, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. But it meant that I didn't have anything overprepared. I sprinkled some things out there for them. And those were the things that caught their eye to get them to the fact they still haven't gotten fully to the secret society. <laughs> but they know the name of it. It's well, named Purgatory. And they've been invited to an after party. So. I mean, that sounds like a good plan. Exactly. So I was at least able to get them invested in that way. So you just put out enough leads for them and see what interests them. And if nothing interests them, then you need to figure out if what you want to have happen is worth having happen then. If it's not interesting them in any way, (laughs) then maybe you need to re-figure out what you want to do. That's a good point too. Because it's like, I have this amazing idea that they're going to like start out by smuggling salt and it's going to lead to them getting, you know, they're going to get caught doing that and then they're going to get blackmailed into doing this, right? You have this whole thing planned out, but then they're like, I don't want to smuggle salt. I want to do some, that doesn't sound fun. (laughs) Right? Right. So now what you have to do is go, okay, that was a miss. Yeah. I can't get them in that way. So now what I need to do is maybe just get them straight into the blackmailing. <laughs> they're they're contacted by someone who has dirt on them. And I just get them into the next level of my plan. Sometimes if something seems too... The stakes aren't high enough, they might wander off. And sometimes that just means that you need to just raise the stakes sooner to get them interested again. That makes a whole bunch of sense to me. Because... They're kind of like children sometimes. That would be an understatement. You'll you'll lose their interest if you don't change things up. Especially if you have them going on like smuggling missions all the time. And then they're like, wow, we were smuggling more stuff for Java. Awesome. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe make it a slightly different mission. Maybe make it like 
you know, you're, you're brought in and, and, you know, his protocol droid's like, oh, yes, and this is a, a very important <laughs> mission. He wanted to make sure that your group especially was going to be doing this very important smuggling mission to, you know, it's salt. Like, what? Why are we smuggling? How was smuggling salt important? <gasps> well, I did not think you would ask that of Jabba, you know, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Some reason, make it seem more important, even if it's something that's incredibly simple, like just smuggling something that's not even like illegal, really. They're just trying to get around <laughs> paying customs on it, you know? Exactly. As I was hearing you talk, I got thinking of how, if I was to like map this out on a wall, because, well, I'm a weird person like that. It's fun to put things on walls. Yeah, there's that too. I mean, there's a reason why I got these giant easel cheats from Staples. Nice. They were like 10 bucks for a pad of 40. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and proper inch squares. They were great. You can tell I did a lot of Saga Edition and 4th Edition D&D. It was cheap. It's cheaper than most of the D&D paper out there now. Anyway. I put this stuff up on the wall and I just start, because almost all my games are online. No one can actually see me do this. It starts off feeling like it kind of murder boarding the whole thing (laughs) where it's like, okay, yes, we have this inciting incident. And then from there, we've got all these different clues. And then from each of these different clues, they branch off. And then these two connect up over here and, and it just starts getting intense. But like, okay, yeah, sure. That's, that's sort of session zero. That's like, the first session actually playing, going from there, seeing, like, throwing up all these ideas, just like what you're saying. And then you start seeing which ones the players gravitate to, and you start expanding on that. This does kind of come up with the West March's style of D&D thing. But if you take a look at how that adventure works, especially if you start doing each of the major choices, you're giving, like, somewhere between two and four, and you just sort of draw the potentials off, and then this is the one that they went to, but never really erased the other ones. It starts looking like this lightning bolt going across your wall. And as players make the choices, it grows and expands and turns into this really weird thing. Especially if you start keeping tracks of uh, side plots or player individual ones of like this obligation and that obligation. And how yeah. things intertwine. Obligation's a good point. Mm. It's a good way to get people invested in whatever you're doing. Because, you know... The person who owns your debt (laughs) is the one asking you to do what you're doing. Or family back home is now in danger. So now you got to do what you're doing. Uh, Now you have to do this. Stuff like that. You know, depending on what your obligation is, it can really help. If you do this thing, then you'll be given whatever it is that you're addicted to. I don't know. You'll be, you'll be given gambling chits, you know. I mean, you could be Aqualition actually want some of the salt. Yeah. Or, sorry, Arcana, the big triangle hit guys. Yeah, them. Exactly. So it could be any of those things. Definitely, you know, we could be tipping you off to the bounty hunters, but we're so nice that instead of doing that, we're just <laughs> going to let you move the salt for us. Yeah. <laughs> And then the obligations start in play of why you can't deliver the salt to those people. Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones who actually took the bounty out on me. <laughs> uh, there's that. Maybe you are <laughs> delivering it to a colony of Arcana, where it seems like, yeah, all this is is really delivering like Epsom salts to someone on 
Moncala. But no, you're actually delivering to a small Arcana pod on uh, Moncala, and they're using this because this is a special grade of salt. <laughs> and for them, it works out like 10 times more intense of reaction and addiction than spice. So you're yeah. into the moral ends of it. Like, okay, well, yeah, we're dealing in drugs. It's just not the drugs that we thought we were dealing in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm setting up for my Thursday group to run in our Android one-shot as mm-hmm. a palate cleanser. So I'm also starting to think of favors. Yeah. And Favors are very good for this kind of thing. Yeah, especially that, for me, favors really puts a different look on obligation. Like, what can I do? Like, what can I get from people? Yeah. You have gotten this from me. Well, now you owe me for it. And I'm going to keep calling in this favor until you've paid. Or yeah. you've done something similar for me. You're taking this shipment of blaster pistols and delivering it to this wild group on Alderaan. Why? Well, you owe me. That's why. Yeah. And then you've got the people who owe the Aldranian royal court for something. It's like, oh, no, you can't do that. We're a planet of peace. And then you start getting to the player discussions and you as a GM have break your popcorn. It's great. <laughs> I've got one more question. One sort of final question before we get to the final thoughts. Okay. So you've gone through this initial adventure. It's gotten a bit on the epic side. Maybe not quite, oh, yes, we have claimed the bounty that we are looking for. We have not found the six-fingered man. but we've done significant things we have overcome the cliffs of insanity or something i don't know (laughs) so we've done things of note but we haven't done the thing but it's starting to look like the thing is a bit above us because we get a check-in on the power of whoever it is we start understanding how powerful they actually are it's like oh yes well this six-fingered man is an amazing swordsman So they, in their arrogance, have taken on a duel with two people at once, and they live. Yes, I only vaguely remember the movie. (laughs) But, like, the idea being having a check-in with the antagonist is not a horrible idea. And making the antagonist bigger and better to intimidate the players and make them think, oh, yeah, I've gotten this 150, 200 XP. Is that going to be enough? I've got these cool talents, but is that going to be enough? Am I going to be able to take on these, like, walking dark troopers? Because, <laughs> well, giant robot things. Eh, this is probably something for an- another episode, but the escalation of a threat. But what is a or a few quick recommendations, quick-ish, recommendations on raising the threat level to the players while... Still showing off that, yes, they have come so far. Hmm. That's difficult. But I do feel like your big bad, right, is present for an encounter, but then leaves. Okay. It's definitely something to have happen, if that makes sense. So, like, if it's just like a... I I talked about this in a previous episode, but... If there's some sort of battle or something and say it's like an admiral, right? That's your big bad for the moment. They are commanding the troops and then they say, you know, some woody one-liner and then they escape on their shuttle. They leave all of these stormtroopers there to deal with you. 
And then all of your players are like, oh boy, that person was terrifying. However, I just wiped the floor now with all of these stormtroopers. So I can still feel like I've made progress, but I'm not quick to just follow that person. I have a ways to go. And I think that's a good way to do it. Another way is you can always do things like leave uh, clues about the big bad kind of a thing. You guys are like literally leaving somewhere and like a dying stormtrooper. <coughs> well, you guys could take us out, but you'll never be able to take out Admiral such and such. And everyone's like, what? And now you get to learn about the big bad, who is obviously way above your guys' <laughs> level of, of like your XP, right? Now you get to find out before this, this stormtrooper dramatically coughs to death. <laughs> right? Right. So this is like, <laughs> could get us, but you couldn't get Admiral, I don't know, some name. <laughs> I'm really good at coming up with names on the spot during my games, but right now I'm just like, no idea. But something, you know, yeah. something like that. Something where it's like, they were able to go through with whatever just happened, but now there's this foreshadowing to some big thing. Brushes with big bads where the big bad leaves is a good thing. That Or they see them from afar is another thing. They know they were there and they just missed them. That kind of thing. It can help keep them on track and help them know, like, now I'm just thinking Princess Bride. All, you know... <laughs> They're tracking them. It was a fight. It was between two people. And they were, you know, that's obviously the prince following. But, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But your players can do that and be like, oh, my gosh. That's what happened. Little clues as to who they're following. On a bounty kind of thing, that would be great. Or like any sort of mystery. Yeah. I like both of those ideas. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Risa, do you have a final thought for our intrepid listeners? My biggest advice is just have several things like mildly prepped to try and bait the hook and then have them all kind of go back towards your ultimate goal and go whichever way your players are going. Just follow them and whatever makes them more excited because it'll make for a happier table if you're following them instead of you having to like dangle <laughs> things in front of them. Or, like, try to, like, push them through a doorway. It'll be a lot better if you just kind of give them several paths that all reconvene later. And they'll go down the one that most interests them. That's the best way that I can really give it for advice as well. For friends like these. Hey, look, let's go to this planet of slaves. Enslavers. Let's try and make a deal with a slaver. Well, no, that doesn't go well for this player group. Because, well, they're with the rebellion. What do you expect? They're not going to hold their nose that long. With the heroes, it lasted longer than I thought it would. Plus, it was a fancy dress thing. It was great. <laughs> Let's see if I can pull it off in Mask of the Pirate Queen. It would be interesting. I like it, but I don't know if it's going to happen. So there was like an outside change. It was mildly in the books. Well, yeah, your players could lead a slave uprising. That's totally a thing. You have to go here, 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 and here. Okay. Let's give it a shot. And that's what the heroes did, because why not? 
<laughs> but it's what interests the players. What are their characters' core beliefs? And once you get an idea of that, like, sure, the first couple sessions are going to be, well, finding out. But then you start getting an idea, and then you can start tailoring your choices to, well, do you want to do it this way and do it the easy way, or do you want to do it this way and it's a hard way? And start playing off easy, hard, moral, immoral, owing this person or owing that person. Giving players choices, but with effects that go on long. Well, who was I to know that Zygarian children were as hard to hurt as loth cats? No, get down from that stall. I don't think the merchant wants you on the counter. And where did your parents go again? I didn't think we would end up on babysitting duty. Hey, don't play with that. I think it might be explosive. Now, see, this is how you put together a hydro spinner. Yep, see, you can use it to do all sorts of useful things. First, you can use it to put back together a countertop. Then, another thing is to make sure that these pressure lines don't seize as they flex as Junior here bounces. Join us next time on a quick-witted tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Mice. And you can find me at Cookie Kit. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by reading, reviewing, and subscribing. Drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. And we're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash the Heidi and Way.